VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are sitting at a moment in time right now where we were the heroes 10 years ago and now we're the villains. Mm -hmm. I lived through this movie before. In the 90s, we were heroes. The dot-com bust happened. We were all charlatans in tech. We were all, we crashed everybody's savings. And it's time for tech to look deep in the mirror and say, what a disgrace we are. Yo, technology, what is it all about? Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your twice weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Yes, I said twice weekly, which is the case for this week only. But as promised, what you are about to hear is part two of my interview with uh, Jason Kalkanis, one of the most active angel investors in the world also one of the most opinionated people in Silicon Valley. So if you haven't listened to the first one, part one, do check that out. It is in the feed right before this one. And while you are there, do me a favor. If you like the show, take a second, give a rating and review. It is a huge help because it helps other people find the show. And, you know, feedback is good. And I must confess, well, I tried to get this out on Monday, but I was, my wife was away this weekend, so I was solo parenting all weekend with a rambunctious toddler so I was waylaid I was waylaid by the by the little man so I apologize but let's get to the good stuff let's get to part two where Jason and I talk about the next big thing the coming cryptocurrency meltdown and the toxic vibe which has pretty quickly invaded Silicon Valley certainly since I've been here so we talk about all of that and the bunch more stuff because it's a big long interesting rambling conversation um which i think you will enjoy so without further ado here is part two with jason calcanis so this week app store's 10 year anniversary unbelievable this amazing kind of thought bubble that has become created all these effectively enabled things like Calm. Insta- Instagram, calm, Facebook, etc. Pretty amazing. What's that? Yeah. So, future gazing, you've got, you don't have a crystal ball on your desk, but you've got some human enhancers of various kinds. Ten years from now, is there a technology, is there a thing, the next big thing? Yeah, that's a great question. So... And do you think, an addendum, do you think it's scooters? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, let's just pause for a second on the App Store. Apple services revenue. It's like a Fortune 500 company all on its own. Yeah. So this is where people, including myself, got Tim Cook and Apple wrong. 
I felt two years ago, three years ago, that Tip Cook was not the person to lead Apple and that they really You were need. not alone in that. Yes. And the reason was a string of embarrassing products, mm. iPhones that were lame and uninspired, the watch, which felt like it should never have been released, but the lack of competition for a better ecosystem than iOS, the generosity of Apple, 70%. The highest revenue share in all ecosystems is... Goes to developers, right. Creatives, founders, startups. Yeah. Apple, I'm reading here, services revenue top $9 billion in the March quarter. So $40 billion a year run yeah. rate. This shows you the power of sharing revenue. This is Zuckerberg's Achilles heel, and it's also his great opportunity. It's also the great opportunity for Twitter, which has yet to take it. Twitter, and I've been, I've talked to multiple CEOs, literally since inception. Mm -hmm. Twitter should allow verified accounts to have advertising on their profile pages. They should get 70% of it. And then they should allow them on their trending tweets, if a tweet trends, to have 70% of the advertising on whatever tweets they do that happen to trend. This would make Twitter grow 5x in five years in revenue and in user base. The Twitter... Rehabilitation plan. No, it's not a rehabilitation. This is the Twitter 10x plan. <laughs> Your original question is, uh, is there something that comes next? I think this is the one place where I see cryptocurrency... This actually gives it... So we're killing two questions in one, actually. Great. Because my next question was, where are we in the crypto cycle? Perfect. Because we had the six months ago... The boom. Crypto, crypto, crypto. It's, you know, it was, I think Bitcoin hit. A mania, a mania would be the way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, a mania. And now it's all died down again. Mm -hmm. But I presume there's all, lots of interesting things still happening in the background. Sharing revenue uh, will drive behavior. Let's talk about YouTube for a second. Because there are some unfortunate and fortunate lessons in YouTube. YouTube has created the greatest farm league for television, for actors, and for musicians. Justin Bieber, I believe, mm -hmm. product of YouTube videos. Correct. And that is as horrible as something that could happen to the world as possible. So there's your horrible case. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's actually the case <laughs> so I was... So you're not a believer. No. I, well, you know, here's the other thing. I think we judge young people doing stupid stuff very harshly because it's captured, but mm -hmm. who hasn't pissed in a potted plant while drunk out of their mind coming out of a restaurant. You and I, but I'm sure that that's... <laughs> right. The I'm sure is, that yes. we've all urinated somewhere we weren't supposed to when we've had too many libations. But anyway. I was actually ticketed for urinating in public back in the day. There we go. A but it was on a fence. Now imagine it was on video. I know. Now, I know. every time we wrote about Danny in the Valley, yeah, like, the, the public Danny pisser. in the Valley, the tree pisser who pisses between <laughs> Volkswagens. Putting this yeah. aside, the negative case is the desire to be famous literally killing people. I wrote a short story in 1999 because I thought I wanted to be a screenplay writer. Mm -hmm. And the premise of my story was that people had become so addicted to the internet and getting page views that they would increasingly do insane stuff and that this became the new thread in pop culture and the highlight of the story was 
a group of people, they created a homepage like the Million Dollar Homepage that said, if this homepage reaches $100 million in anonymous donations, we will swim across the channel where the great white sharks are mm -hmm. in chummed water back and forth from two different boats. And they hit the number and the three of them jump in and the punchline is? They all die. All three surviving at $100 million. Oh. And then it creates an even more insane ecosystem of insanity. Right. This is actually what's happened to YouTube. YouTube is a money and fame platform. And the incentive is views, likes, subscriptions. They have 537,000 subscribers, four times as many as this week in startups, in fact. So I might say, if I did something insane, maybe I get to 500,000. And then YouTube says, if you get over 10,000 views, we will monetize your video and you'll get 55% of it. Right. That's why you see people hanging off of cranes and doing this crazy stuff or doing pranks that are truly dangerous. Mm -hmm. We are on a path uh, that's extremely dangerous. And this goes back to tech having responsibility. We mm -hmm. talked about Zuckerberg. This is where YouTube, and you were saying, hey, what's the criticism of Google? Here's a super valid criticism. Number one, allowing people to risk their lives to become famous on your platform. Now, if it was just a hosting platform like GoDaddy, we wouldn't say GoDaddy was responsible. But right. GoDaddy doesn't have a monetization component. They also don't have a subscriber list count. They don't have a like button. And they don't have a studio where they champion people and give them free studio space. And they don't encourage stuff. Now, I'm not saying they encourage this kind of behavior, but they don't ban it either. Yeah. And they're a publisher. YouTube is a publisher, not a platform. Yeah. Publishers make editorial decisions. They make editorial decisions. Publishers make money and share it with content creators. They do that. They also don't take it seriously. There's two things that Susan Wojcicki has to get right at YouTube, which she hasn't gotten right yet, and neither did anybody else over there. So it's not just her. She inherited it. Number one, you can't change the rules on content creators if they're depending on you for revenue. They demonetized everybody under 10,000 views per video. In other words, you can't make money on the little videos. Right. So you basically took the people who were making the least amount of money and punished them because you wanted to clean up the service. This sends a deranged person over the edge who then comes to YouTube's campuses and kills them. Now, this is very politically incorrect for me to make this connection or for you and I to even have this conversation because it involves tragic. Did somebody die in that or did they just get shot? I think she killed herself. She killed herself. And I don't know if the victims at YouTube died I or not. I don't think so. I don't think so. So anyway, let's touch the third rail here for a minute. What, Danny, is YouTube's culpability if a deranged person who's lost their revenue stream mm -hmm. decides to come and shoot up the campus? What is YouTube's responsibility? Or what's their culpability in this situation, if any? And what is their responsibility in terms of reacting to it? And what is the lesson they can learn from it? Because mm. nobody's had this discussion. This is the discussion no. we're having right now is perhaps one of the hardest discussions you can have because it involves tragedy and mental illness and shooting. Well, it's the same thing as somebody, you know, a landlord basically coming in and closing down your store. That's a nice analogy. I like it. Continue. So... You don't pay your... No, no. They kick you out, not because yeah. you didn't pay your rent. They kick yeah. you out because the lease is up. Yeah. The lease is up. But then, you know, there's... With no, with no warning. Exactly. Your lease is up today. You wake, you wake up. You come into work and you're like, oh, I can't work anymore. I can't feed my The keys are, the, yeah. the, the locks have been changed. Yeah. So if that person then turns around and has a gun and does something horrific, 
don't think you blame the landlord because you cannot predict what somebody else is going to do. Correct. A deranged person who murders people is solely responsible for their behavior. Yeah. So then what is the lesson here? What do we take away from it? That YouTube should carry on their behavior as it is and that deranged stuff happens? Or is there something that YouTube should start doing in the future to mitigate against this happening again? Well, if you make changes, give warning. So people have six months to... Bingo. When YouTube did the Panda update and killed eHow, WikiHow, Mahalo, my site, I had to lay off 90 people. I begged them to please give us warning and give us a year to make whatever corrections we need and to be explicit about it. Do you know what they did? Nothing. They wouldn't even return my calls. This is Google's Achilles heel. This is where Google needs to improve. The way they treat partners is they make changes on them unilaterally without warning that destroy people's lives. They've done it multiple times. They did it with SEO changes and then they did it with YouTube. They never explain it. They just did it to a company in Sydney that was doing unlock screens on Android. They banned them from the Android ecosystem and they banned them from AdMob. Now, I don't know how much warning, they, they, maybe they've learned the lesson there, but for people from Google who are listening, you're not responsible for a deranged person murdering yeah. people. The deranged person is, and dealing with that is well above all of our pay grades. Like, why do deranged people do this stuff? But the triggering event was the suddenness of being demonetized. That is something you're responsible for. This is where big companies need to take the advice I give to young founders as they become successful. In victory, be magnanimous. In victory, be generous. I am cognizant of the fact that I have won more than I deserve in this life. I have now, in discussions with my wife and some of my friends, said, what can we do to give back? I know I'm a polarizing figure. There's a lot of reasons to hate me. I've said a lot of stupid things in my career. But for the people who are truly jaders out there who hate me, I get it because I said some stupid polarizing shit in my past. But pay attention to what I'm doing now and see if the good I'm trying to do now outweighs some of the mistakes I made in my past. That's how big companies need to think too. Zuckerberg has fucked up so royally so many times that if he really cares and he's really won so much... Why be hated by so many? Why be hated by your friends who built the company with you? Like literally the people who worked for Zuckerberg are the ones who say the nastiest things about him now that they don't work for him anymore. Do they or they just say nasty things about the company? I mean, I guess it's one uh, and the same. It would be both. Dave Morin had his Facebook Connect access for his app path turned off and then Zuckerberg stole... Dave Morin's great innovation of instead of when you heart something in path, you would hit the heart and it would open up to five different emojis. Right. And you could kind of right. give not just a heart, but a different thing. Yeah. And literally his friend Zuckerberg and Dave Morin was a key piece of Zuckerberg being where he is today. He stole it from his friend. You stole from your friend and then you turned off access to the, the Facebook users. It's low. Right. So be generous, be magnanimous. Do the best you can. We are sitting at a moment in time right now where we were the heroes 10 years ago and now we're the villains. Mm -hmm. I lived through this movie before. In the 90s, we were heroes. The dot-com bust happened. We were all charlatans in tech. We were all, we crashed everybody's savings. And it's time for tech to look deep in the mirror and say, what a disgrace we are for not being able to solve homelessness in our backyard. 
There are 7,000 homeless people in San Francisco. It's 20 times what it is in London per capita. And we can't solve it. And by we, I mean me, Sheryl Sandberg, Elon Musk, Larry Page, Sergey, Betty Off was working really hard on it, Zuckerberg. We can solve it with a snap of our fingers, but we haven't. That's what needs to change. Right. We need to take all this power and wealth that's been accumulated here and focus it like Elon did with the Thai kids. If every time a disaster happened in the world, a few of us here in Silicon Valley with the massive brain power, massive resources, massive technical know-how, massive checkbooks said, how can we help? As opposed to how can we get more users? Not only would the perception of us change, we ourselves would have better lives. We would have the massive benefit of feeling good about ourselves again. I mean, this yeah. this is a dark, toxic moment for Silicon Valley. You you feel it too, I'm sure, when yeah. you talk to people. Tim Ferriss left, and in his goodbye letter, he's just like, I can't even have a conversation here without everybody wanting to just character assassinate everybody. You know, I'm not leaving. I'm going to just work with Benioff and Elon and Chamath and anybody else who's, you know, there's a bunch of people who want to make things better. And we should just all 10x that. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't even know what the question was. That I'm so was delirious a, right a, no, now. Yeah, that was a detour. It was a detour. What was, was the original question? Detour. Oh, what's next? The next, yeah. So, go back to the app store. I think we started with the app store. We, <laughs> and we wound up with Mayor Jason. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Are you timing this? We could have been talking for 15 minutes or two hours right now, and I wouldn't know. This is what so, a lack of sleep and being in three different parts of the globe in yeah. 10 days does to a person. So it was, yeah, so in 10 years from now, what will we look back on now and be like, oh, that was the next big thing. And yeah, then we sure. got on, you started talking about crypto. Um, yeah, so one of the wonderful things about the technology industry is that nobody can answer that specific question. Mm-hmm. But we can look at the why now question as taught to me by Rulof Botha from Sequoia is, why will this idea work now? 
And when he taught me the question, he said, why will Uber work now? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, why did YouTube work five years ago? And I said, oh, that's easy. And he said, is it? Yes, it's very obvious as day. There's three specific reasons, and I can give them to you in ranked order. He goes, go ahead. I said, number one, storage. Prices plummeting. Number two, bandwidth prices plummeting. And number three, syndication of JavaScript clips on blogs, allowing people to put any video anywhere. Because putting a video on the internet required friction, because there was nowhere to do it. And the few places there were to do it, your reward for getting traffic was you got a bill for $10 for every 1,000 people who watched your video. So if you had a million people watch your video, you were yeah. screwed. And he's like, precisely. Bandwidth, all the dark fiber built during the dot-com era and bust, all that dark fiber is now being lit up. Some unbelievable amounts of bandwidth available for free. And storage is halving in price every 18 months or so. So your one terabyte drive, that's $199, will be a two terabyte drive for $199 sometime next year. And we've seen this happen. So why now for Uber? Super easy. iPhone comes out, it's got GPS on it. GPS means you can see the car coming towards you. Previous phones did not have GPS. So if you look at the why now, the one I am personally very fascinated with right now is robotics. 10 different founders have shown me robots doing things perfectly, and in some cases better than humans. Primary example for me is Cafe X, which we found. Which we wrote about last year. Yeah. So. I got an email from a kid in Hong Kong who watched my podcast. He said, I know you like short pitches. I built a robotic coffee machine. Here's the video. I click it. I see a bunch of Chinese students around a machine with a robotic arm serving them coffee. And I wrote back, is this a joke? And he said, no, it's not a joke. I built it for my senior thesis. And he explained to me. And I thought to myself for a minute, and I was like, I had the robotic hamburger machine momentum at launch festival at that time it was probably eight years ago so at that time it was probably three years earlier so whatever five years ago that was kooky but it didn't make a burger and it didn't work exactly perfectly mm. but coffee's a lot easier than a hamburger and i have a one-touch coffee machine at my house I, I bought the jura after i sold weblogs inc i was like what can i spend money on a thousand dollar one press espresso machine like that, right. that was my big uh, bourgeois purchase I mean, like, literally, I look back on my behavior sometimes, and I'm like, I was like a caricature of a caricature. And so robotics... You didn't start a tequila, though. You didn't start a, a tequila, like, in um, Silicon Valley, you know, the character. <laughs> He's there. Russ Hanneman? Yes, yes. Yeah, people are like, is Russ Hanneman you? I'm like... <laughs> He's kind of more Mark Cuban with a splash of J. Cal. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's 10%. I could say. They came to my poker game, the writers. Before they started it, they came to my poker game, and then I had dinner with the guy who plays uh, Guilfoyle. So I, I had a... If, yeah. if, if, you, if you find references, like Mahalo, they had their Hawaiian party. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Alcatraz, and their like, yeah. Mahalo and everything. Mm -hmm. That was like a little dig to me for oh, Mahalo okay. failing. Right. I was back-channel told that. I can't confirm it. But, right. Um, long story short, robotics is now getting to the point, and I have a second investment called uh, Ready, which is GetReady.io, which allows kids to program robots so you can have your Sphero and your DJI drone chase each other around the house. So I start seeing 
oh, there's a robotic dishwasher company. Oh, there's Zoom Pizza or Zoom Pizza with robotic. They, mm-hmm. And that's like maybe 60% of the pie is made robotically, 40% human. What's going on here? What's the why now? Robotics is cheap enough. The arm that they use in the Cafe X machine or those robotic arms you see in the Tesla factory, these were seven-figure devices in the 80s. Yeah. There were six-figure devices in the 90s. They've been five-figure devices for a while. Now we're down to $4,000 robot, four-figure robotic arms. So for me, it's robotics. Here's the thing. We repeat until the technology connects. VR had like five false starts. Maybe it's still going to have a six and a seven. And robotics, I feel like, had so many false starts. Yes. The Segway being one of them and the Roomba being one of them. But now, do you own a Roomba, by the way? I do not. You may not realize this, but a lot of people own Roombas in middle America and other places, and they love them, and they work. My my sister has one in Virginia. And she loves it, and it works. Mm -hmm. You and I are cynical journalists slash commentators, Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, I heard of the Roomba. The Roomba's dumb. The Roomba is now, I think, 15 years old? It works now. Yeah. Like, it really works. Like, then there's a dishwasher one. There was one that was doing froth. Is that the one that, yeah. like, loads the dishes? Yeah, yeah. It goes through the normal dishwasher and unloads yeah. them. Dishcraft, I think, is going to be a world-changing one. My understanding with Dishcraft is you have to use their plates now. So if you put, like, oh, right, right, other... Right. Ch- so you have to standardize something to make it work, right? Yeah, so they just raised a bunch of money. They did. So right. the answer to your question is, I think robotics is super interesting. Now, crypto, which was your follow-up question... Yeah. Fascinating to me. I have been one of the great critics of crypto. I know. I'll explain why. Number one, any system that can be manipulated will be manipulated. That's what happened in crypto the last three or four years, which is the giant collusion fraud of the century. Not in all cases, but there was a study done that the run up from like 200 to 1,000 in Bitcoin was completely manufactured. And the reason it's so easy to manufacture this, all of the float of cryptocurrency, the amount of people trading, I believe that's all manufactured or a large percentage of it is. Because if you and I, let's say we're two of the top 10 holders of Bitcoin and we owned, I'm going to make up a number here, you own 7% of a cryptocurrency and I own 13%, so Mm -hmm. we own 20% of it. You and I decide, we're smart people, we're developers. Let's create a random number between zero and 100 of accounts per day wallets across random IP addresses that we get from Amazon Web Services or some other cloud computing platform. We do it across multiple cloud platforms. So at the end of the year, we each have 30,000, 40,000 accounts. Mm -hmm. Now the number of wallets created has been going up and to the right. Well, that's a good sign. Then we say, let's randomly start trading between our combined 75,000 accounts. Passing our our money between ourselves. Randomly, random intervals, directly through exchanges, putting money up for exchanges. And the ability to do this, of course, is because the anonymity. Anonymity plus the large number of accounts and wallets out there. Plus automation. Mm -hmm. It would be as if you and I could have sat at that same poker table and cloned ourselves and said, let's create 10,000 poker tables and do this behavior 10,000 times. Uh, let's do this behavior 100 times yeah. at 10,000 tables. 
Now we've got 10 million instances, and we can hide and change our thieving ways. This, if you asked anybody who's technical, and you're a technical person, could this be done? Is it technically possible to do what I just explained? Sure. In a system where there are billions of dollars at work, would people have the motivation to do it? Of course. If it's technically po if it's easily technically possible, and there is an incentive, and we're dealing with global actors, including ISIS, Russia, KGB, Chinese hackers, and any other entity in the world, mm -hmm. is there a possibility this could have been done? Yeah. Possible yeah. or probable? Yeah. Now we're up to probable. Yeah. Is it probable that people have tried to do this? Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah. so now you jump from probable to it's happened. Hmm. Okay. It's happened. 100% has happened. You have massive fraud that created the run-up, that created this kind of mania. Then it became pop culture. Everybody felt like they were going to be the last idiot in. The system is still unregulated. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. Uh, went back east for Christmas. My father-in-law started talking to me about cryptocurrencies, and that's when I knew that this had kind of it had jumped the shark, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, for sure. And then the way you can confirm this is when you say, why are you interested in this? If the he, had reason, bought, he had bought three different cryptocurrencies. Right. If the reason is not, well, I believe that the people in Africa who are not banked could jump to this instead of having a bank account. And I believe that the blockchain core technology is pretty smart because that could apply to other situations. And the founder of the cryptocurrency I did owns only 1% and put the other 90% out. And he went to Harvard and MIT. And when I met with him for coffee, he was available for me when I was in New York. If that was the thought process, yeah. then I would say, Mazel Tov, great. You're doing what I do for a living. You're, you're Detective Columbo. I tell people I'm Columbo. Like, my job is to ask stupid basic questions. Just like as a journalist, mm -hmm. your job is to ask stupid basic questions and hope the subject gives it up, especially with a follow-up mm -hmm. or time yeah. or lack of sleep, which you have done in this interview. <laughs> and so that mania happens. And literally, I spoke at the crypto conference. I said, listen... A lot of you people tell me you're worth $100 million. I'm going to give you the best piece of advice you've ever had in your life. If you have $10,000 in cash and a million in crypto, make those two numbers equal right now. Then take the cash and put half of it into a Wealthfront robo portfolio set at a number that is commensurate with how many years to your retirement. Then take that last 25% and buy a home that you will enjoy living in. Nobody took the advice. Bitcoin's lost two-thirds of its value or so. Bitcoin zero is the likely scenario. And now I don't think 100% scenario. I think Bitcoin so. zero to close to zero is going to be the 60% chance likelihood. So, Chamath Palihapitiya. Yes, one of my good friends, Chamath Palihapitiya. He has said publicly he thinks it will be 500, a million per Bitcoin yeah. in, say, 10, 15, 20 years. There is a chance that could happen. The way you would have to take Chamath's very intelligent perspective, the technology has withstood massive hacking and on a relative basis it has become more stable. And because of the number of people who are already vested in it, it should have some longevity. That's the bull argument. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting at home and you want to put 1% of your wealth there is no harm there. Yeah. And if you want to put 5%, there's probably little harm. 
If you wanted to put more than that, you have to start thinking really, really deeply about, is that bet worth it? Because the bet you're making is it goes 100x, right? Let's say it's 6,000 now, 600,000. We'll, we'll put Chamath's thesis as 600,000, 100x mm -hmm. from here. You put 1% of your net worth in, and it does, in fact, go 100x. You've now doubled your net worth. If that's greater than a 1% chance of happening, it would be a valid bet. In other words, if one out of 50 times it happened, you would want to take it. Mm -hmm. If one out of 300 times it happened, you wouldn't want to take that bet. That's just odds. I think that would be the way to look. I would look at it. Now, here's, here's my argument. Bitcoin was the first technology. Bitcoin is highly manipulated. Bitcoin is owned by a small number of people who have been selling very cleverly at small times during the run-ups. Those people have an asymmetrical information advantage and technology advantage against the average consumer. You're up against people who are smarter, have bigger positions, can manipulate it at will. And at any point, if there's a 51% attack, the rules can change. If a government, like say the Chinese, wanted to, and the Chinese are probably actively behind the miners there who are getting free energy, the Chinese decide that there's enough in here that they will then uh, take control over it because the miners get to make the edits and there has to be yeah. consensus. If you don't understand consensus, look it up, uh, consensus, Bitcoin, whatever. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I'm expert enough to know that a government with a lot of energy and doesn't care about the environment would burn a lot of coal to take over Bitcoin and they maybe have the ability to do it at any moment. If the Chinese government wanted to right now, they probably have mining technology sitting there that they could flip on, connect it to nuclear, coal, and hydro plants that they could become 90% of the nodes on the network. If you don't believe me, fine. If you think it's science fiction, fine. But be a student of history and you'll, you'll find a lot weirder situations have occurred in the world. And you're also betting us the fact that this first technology isn't going to wind up being Usenet or Gopher or Telnet or SAN commands, all the original pieces of the internet. And that Ethereum or whatever comes next is not so much better, has so much more utility, and has so much more appreciation and value that people don't say, you know what? I've owned this stock, General Electric, for a long time. And GE was very good to me in the 90s. But Netflix and Google and Facebook and Tesla, I use those products every day. And they seem to be appreciating faster. I think I'll want to have my money in those names as well. So I'm going to take my massive GE position and cram it way down and buy those names. We're just using a stock market analogy. Well, that's what will happen to Bitcoin, I believe. People will start seeing other opportunities to make more money, other technologies that are more optimized. And then the other risk factor is governments might look at this at some point and say, you know what, you're burning way too much energy. Right. And so at some point, a government who is threatened by cryptocurrency will either ban the cryptocurrency or ban it under the guise of what it's doing to the environment. So I, I see these massive risk factors. Chamath has a position that he obtained early, so he's talking his book. I don't have a massive position. My wife has a small position that she bought when she heard me talking about it. I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, and so if you hear me talking about Uber, you can assume I'm talking my book. I own, that's a large portion of my yeah. net worth, so like my Uber stuff. This is this how to read investors. When an investor has a very strong position or a thesis, and they've disclosed their position, which is what Chamath has done, take it for what it's worth. He has a massive position. 
and he has a massive incentive, and he's explaining to you the reason. With Uber, I have a massive position. I think it's a $250 billion company. I'm not selling any more shares. I'm, I'm in it, you know? I'm in it for the long term. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, the ICOs that occurred, 95% will go to zero and or be frauds run by incompetent people or incompetent people who were involved in a fraud or some mishmash of those. Number one rule of investing in the early stage companies is to take your time, build your position over time, get to know the founder over time, read their plan and see if they hit their milestones. All mistakes I've made, giving people money, waiting for them to come out with the product, they never do, they beg for more money. I've already lost 50, so I put another 50 in, I put bad money after good. Now, I wait to see the prototype. Use your money, use your sweat equity, use yeah. your friends and family money, then come to me with your point one version of com okay it's a web page and you got a domain name okay that's enough for me to give you for three hundred seventy eight thousand and you did the million dollar homepage and i did my research that's how you should invest the com dot one i described earlier in the episode or in part one of this episode if it's now two <laughs> i don't know how many hours we're talking but you really then have to think to yourself very deeply did i ever meet these founders and when did I read the white paper and did I understand the white paper? Am I qualified to understand this white paper? And how much work does it take to make a white paper? And, oh, I went to the website Fiverr and they have people charging $5 or $15 or $50 to write a white paper for your ICO. There are some people who believe stupid people sh should lose their money to learn an education. Spend 1% of your net worth and 80% of your free time until such time as you're so knowledgeable that you can spend 20% of your net worth and 50% of your time. I could spend 10% of my time investing in startups and 100% of my net worth and be positive because I'm the GOAT now or I'm the third, fourth best of all time, fifth best of all time. But that was not the case 10, 15 years ago. So understand where, understand where you're at when you start gambling. If you don't, if you don't haven't put in your 10,000 hours at the poker tables and you haven't taken lessons and you haven't done the math and you haven't read 20 books, do not play in the main event and put $10,000. Play yeah. in a satellite for 1,000 or 100 or $35. What happened in, is people got greedy. They jumped into crypto. Now, what will come out of it, I believe, is an Amazon or a Google. And so my personal strategy is I am watching what's actually making it to product because all this shit was sold yeah. on white papers. So I, every couple of months, you'll see me tweet on my Twitter, is anybody using a product that had an ICO? And when I first did this, nobody would respond. Now they, I get eight people who respond, I use the Brave browser. And I had the founder of the Brave browser on my mm -hmm. podcast. Brendan. Brendan. He also worked at Netscape in the 90s. He also ran Mozilla. So this is his third major world-changing browser, and that browser has a cryptocurrency associated with it that takes out ads and then lets people get paid directly for content, which circles back to your second question about fake news, no, third question about fake yeah. news, and that's the one I want to invest in. Like, that's the one I would join the board of. That's the company I'd put a million dollars in. That's the cryptocurrency I might actually buy. And so... What's the rush? And whenever you see that everybody rushing into something, that's the perfect time for you to say to yourself, I'm going to sit back yeah. and watch everybody run in, in and out of this burning building 
and see who survives. I mean, if you invested in Amazon in any time in the first 15 years of the company's life or 10, you'd be a happy camper. Same thing with Netflix. What's the rush? You have no experience as an angel investor. You've never met the founder. They've never produced any product. And you want to send them money anonymously? And they haven't registered as a security? There's not enough enforcement agents at the SEC to manage the multi-billion dollar crater that will be left by these ICOs. Yeah. And there is no way, given the scale of this, I mean, if you thought the dot-com bust took a little while to reconcile with lawsuits and everything, you ain't seen nothing yet because those were companies that went through public filings, yeah. attorneys, PwC. Now, in some cases, PwC or Ernst & Young could have made a mistake or a lawyer could have made a mistake or people could have gotten over aggressive or there could yeah. have been legitimate fraud. But you're talking about a highly regulated um, a lot casino. A lot of transparency. With yeah. transparency and with the ability to put people in jail. And this, you might have sent your money to a wallet owned by somebody in ISIS or the KGB. Who knows where you sent your money? And so I feel bad for people who put large amounts of money in. And I think it'll just be a small education for most people. And that is all the time we have, <laughs> uh, which is a lot, I recognize. Um, I want to give a big thank you to Jason for sitting down for yeah, close to three hours. As I said, we cut out a lot of um, stuff where we just went completely off into uh, the wilderness. But um, I hope you did enjoy the conversation, gave you some stuff to think about. It certainly gave me some stuff to think about. And I will be back on Friday. Friday morning or Thursday evening, depending on where you are, as normal, with another episode. So please keep an eye out for that. And I, of course, will be in the newspaper this weekend, just as I was last weekend at the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk, on the Twitter machine at Danny Fortson. And you can, of course, email me at danny.fortson, F-O-R-T-S-O-N, at Sunday hyphentimes.co.uk if you have any comments or suggestions of people we should talk to or anything like that. So, until later this week, I bid you farewell. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.